0: Hello and welcome to the 52nd episode of Not A Game Podcast. Uh, With me today, I'm Philip Wall. by the way, is Tom Hatfield. Hello. And Richard Cobbett. Hi there. Hello, everybody. Uh, Are we we back to doing stupid questions? Because I have completely not come prepared with a stupid question.
1: That's a good point. I did do one last week, yeah.
0: Oh, damn it. Did you have a a runner-up that we could, like, pillage for this week?
1: Um... I uh, no, not really, because um yeah i I asked people what their favorite tutorial was because um Hannah one of the guests was uh involved in the tutorials but in designing tutorials,
0: oh, <sighs> yeah, that would have been good, rich, are you working on anything that we could pillage <laughs> for a stupid question, even though this bit's gone on for too long already
2: i I don't know stupid questions are the the classic is always if you cross the international dateline on your birthday, should you still get presents? But it's not really very uh gamey, so uh hmm.
0: I think I should get presents all the time, it's part of the reason I like steam.
2: Mm. Mm. I don't get the same thing. I've got a press account with steam, so I get basically everything on it for free. Oh poor it's, you. Like, it's like woe is me <laughs> yeah.
0: yes, well, okay, the question this week is whose diamond shoes are too tight <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, this is a reference to Kim Kardashian Hollywood, bunny gents.
0: Uh we, oh, we we discussed that at length previously.
1: It's like our uh, our uh, uh, 1 year anniversary episode is like half an hour discussion of Kim Kardashian's <laughs> game.
0: Mm, I got a friend um on Gchat today just like basically uh pumping me for Kim Kardashian expertise. So I was kind of Kim consulting with a K obviously. Yeah, so like
2: consulting.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So I don't know, like if all else fails, you know, if the esports stuff doesn't work out, I could still, you know, have a, you? have a backup career.
2: Well, I mean, I certainly don't plan to talk about it because obviously, but I have noticed that kind of that it seems to be one of the dumbest things ever to kind of really sort of take my Twitter list by storm to the point that I was playing To the to point, the point I'm actually starting to wonder now if they could actually sort of set up their own kind of sort of fake currency that the entire iTunes store could use as I just have everything purchased in those sort of sparkly K-stars and sex tapes.
0: Well, I don't know. I think that I I maintain that it is, you know, not bad. I maintain that it is what it is, and it, it makes no bones about being some massive, you know, intellectual pursuit, but it's managed to be engaging and get people to talk about it and spend money on it. So it's a success in terms of business. It does um, actually
1: seem kind of interesting you know. in the way it's uh, approached, in the way it's approached things, and the way it's gamified things that we don't usually.
2: Uh, I, I I actually downloaded it purely to make fun of it for a website post, and I I kind of got about to ten minutes. I thought so I can't because it's doing it itself. It's like it is the most cynical game I've ever played, and that just sort of seems perfect for what it is. Yeah,
1: there's hmm. a weird sort of knowing humor. To, like people have posted screenshots of, like when. Uh, when you become like less famous, you get angry. Tw- you get people get angry at you on Twitter, mm. and like there's screenshots of someone just dropping in, uh, uh, just dropping in hashtag conspiracy hashtag Obamacare and stuff <laughs> like
3: that. There's <laughs> quite a strange sense of humour to it.
0: <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it's on, on not the, on a dumb on, game.
2: Uh, yeah, I, I don't. know, I think it is a dumb game, but it's a dumb game in the right way for you know what it is. I mean, it is a, an energy grinder. Um, but, you know, it, it's got all the wrapping. It's kind of, it's kind of like the um, Celebrity Fallen London.
0: <laughs>
2: Except that if you make delicious friends, they are purely to promote your own career. Because you are a horrible person.
1: Uh, <laughs> I can't remember what the question was. There wasn't one, actually. We just we no. actually <laughs> created an answer without a question there.
0: Mm. Anyway, okay. It, it, it concerns,
2: it's kind of like um, Hitchhiker's Guide that the 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 answer is Kim Kardashian Hollywood. What is the question? It's like man was not meant to know. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, in that case, it's probably a good thing to talk about what we've all been playing. So, uh, Tom, did you want to go first?
1: Um, sure. Uh, let's see. Uh, well. What I've been playing most recently is L.A. Cops, which just came out on The Access, um, which I think I briefly mentioned before when we were doing the Radius Cats, because it was... Uh... Is this
0: Solly Clark's game? Yes.
2: I do not know this one. What, what, what kind of thing is it?
0: Uh,
1: it's a... Uh, well, it's a... Uh, top. What is... Uh, this is uh, this is a, a something that's been throwing me for a while, right? Because... Um, what's that sort of top-down 3D that it's like isometric, but you can't actually move
2: the camera? Is there actually a name for that? Just usually sort of top-down yeah. 3D, usually. Maybe.
1: Yeah, but... Um, anyway.
2: I actually think it's best to call it isometric, because, yeah. then, because then the people who want to complain that isometric is a specific thing get really angry, and that's really funny.
1: Yeah, sure. Okay. It's a, <laughs> uh, but yeah... Um, it's, al-
2: it's also pixel art, whether it is or not, because technically those are pixels.
1: In which you play a uh, group of cops... and. Um, the idea is it's you get this sort of top down shooter it works very much like Hotline Miami, except you switch between two cops and when you um, when you leave one of them, they get a little firing arc and they 'll shoot anyone who enters that arc, so it becomes a sort of tactical game of like leaving your partner to cover a door and then uh and, and stuff like that to be honest, most of the work will be done by the person by the cop you aren 't playing. <laughs> And it's yeah, and it's mostly about luring them into the like AI firing
2: arc. So so like Overwatch, the game.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's basically Hotline Man with Overwatch, I guess. Hmm. Um, which is uh, yeah, it's I, I really like the um, so I re- yeah, I really like those mechanics uh, and the way that works. But uh, the early access version doesn't seem to have a huge amount of like levels to it at the moment, um, and that's. I was kind of just. Dis- I played through it, and um, I don't know whether I missed something or what. But as far as I can tell, there are only a handful of levels, and it was basically the same build I played at Radius.
2: Doesn't sound like much cop.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, um, as as much as I, I really, as much as I uh, really, it's a really original take. It it's one of those ones where I think you're probably going to want to wait a month or two on early access until actually buying it because it just you know, you can blow through what's there in such a short space of time right now, and it's got like a it's got like a scoring system at the end, and I, I think maybe they expect me to repeatedly replay the same level and try and get a better score. But I didn't really feel any implica- any impetus to do that. I mean, I, to be honest, I'm not the kind of person who usually does. So maybe other people would, but um, yeah. So good, but just not enough of it right now. Um, and it, it looks really cool as well because it's got this kind of very flat, low-poly art that um, really works with this uh, 70s cop aesthetic um, and also also some magnificent 70s handlebar mustaches and the cops. (laughs) Um, So yeah, (laughs) I haven't said very much but that's kind of the point, I guess. (laughs) There wasn't quite enough of it.
0: What do you think that they'll do to to develop it just more stuff, more...
1: It does feel like, um, actually I, I spoke to about uh to Ali Clark about this at Radius and he'd said at the time that it was kind of I think they spent most of their time like nailing the core mechanics and it's going to be the kind it's going to be a, a different approach to early access I think where it's more focused on being almost episodic in the way it will just add more and more levels um and more narrative in between those with um I think there's with mostly just little conversations between the cops and stuff like that um, in a sort of parody of uh, uh, a, a sort of parody of those sort of Starsky and Hutch style cop shows or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's it's it's, it's going to kind of I get the feeling it's kind of getting it's it's going to fill out it's going to get broader but it's not necessarily going to get deeper. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm. Like so, the the basic game is in place in terms of how you play and and mm. the sort of the basic level of of designedness that you're looking at, it's just the actual content will expand. Exactly. It's,
1: yeah, it's uh, it's which is doesn't happen a lot on early access, but yeah, it's more like an epi- it's almost more like an episodic game, in which yeah, the future is mostly more levels. Mm. Um, okay. Which is good because right now that's the thing it's missing. But uh, yeah, uh, but it's it's interesting in that that's not the approach a lot of early access. A lot of the most popular early access games are these kind of big sandboxy things where you get the whole area you get the whole, like, area right away and then they add extra mechanics and it's going the opposite way around.
0: Hmm. hmm. I suppose you get sort of a more representative impression of, of how the game plays uh, with the LA Cop's way of doing something because otherwise you're constantly sort of looking around and going, I don't think that works, but I don't know if that's a thing that they'll change.
1: Yeah, I think they actually describe it as a vertical slice on the Steam page. Um, hmm. Uh, yeah, I wish it was well. and it,
0: that's it, it, a really and good way of describing it. Sorry if that sounded really muffled. I was kind of trying to eat honey off my finger <laughs> without letting anyone know, <laughs> and then it sort of went a bit wrong. So um, <laughs> I thought I'd better own up just in case I sounded weird. Uh,
1: yeah, so um, uh, that's, inter- think, uh, that's interesting because I think that's interesting because as early access becomes more popular and more useful to developers, just because you know they don't have any money, um, and if the, the money, the earlier you can get the money in, the better. People are going to try and do it with more linear or more narrative games, and this is the way to do that. I think Uh, that, and maybe um, well, maybe Sunless Sea, but Sunless Sea is this weird thing where it's both a sandbox and a narrative-driven game.
0: Mm. Yeah, like they've announced a few uh, other things, haven't they? Like they did a. Blog post the other day saying that they were going to, like, reprioritize combat and market as less complete than they thought it had. Cause mm-hmm. the, it was because combat is bad.
1: Uh, yeah. So, but I, it's um yeah, it does, I actually really like the way they they phrase that. Actually, it's a very transparent approach. That idea of well, it's, it yeah, it really gives a, a clear representation of their approach to the fans to say. Well, we thought combat was this complete, but actually, you don't like it. So clearly, it's not.
0: Yeah. What's well, as like you were <laughs> speaking just then, I just got an email from Alexis from uh, Fail Better <laughs> about the fact that um, the Emerald update, which is the, I think the other one, uh, has has been released. So that's more to do with how the map changes when you play and like oh, right, yeah. how it sort uh, of rejigs lands around and things like that.
1: Yeah. No, that was basically everything. Because they were going to do that and the combat, and then they realised the combat needed more work, so they split it
2: into two updates, didn't
1: they? Yeah,
0: I can't remember what the combat one's called, but yeah, yeah well, I, I think uh, I think
2: combat's kind of more been sort of pushed back as a general thing. Um, Emerald was the one with the map, Steel, um, I think does some answer, but combat's just basically, we're going to take a month and just focus on making the combat not suck.
0: Yeah.
1: And yeah, I'm, yeah, it, it does need work, and I hope they, I hope they pull it off, uh, but that... I mean, um, I remember when you were talking about *Fallen in London* before, Richard. You, mm. you you said that you know, in in many ways, it was the, the the game, the mechanical elements that were holding it back. Um, and to an extent, that's also true of *Sunless Sea*.
2: I mean, Sun- *Sunless Sea* is a game I played quite a bit. Um- since it kind of sort of hit beaters, us, again, I actually like a lot. I think there's, there's, I think they're absolutely right in terms of what they need to change, which is always, you know, good to see in early access. Um, the combat's terrible, it's too hard to get started, and the trading is boring. Um, and I think that really, when they've got those three things sorted out, then basically the, the actual kind of sort of narrative basis of it is really, really good. Mm. Um, and I think they'll be able to kind of sort of focus on just kind of pouring in more and more content. But they're, they're right. So in some, of the, um, a lot of the problem, which you sort of tend to sort of see in early access, is the foundations are shaky, but improving the foundations isn't cool. It doesn't kind of give you the same sort of sense of forward momentum. Mm. And so I think quite often it can be a case of, well, that's our game, and people have bought our game, so they must not mind. Um, and I really like that um, Alexis and co are, um, are flat out sort of saying, okay, we're well, we're, we're, we're hearing that we seem to have you know, the right complaints kind of on board. Pun not intended. Um, and you know we're, we're really going to put the time into making this work before we get back to the stuff which is easy for them. You know, relatively speaking, mm. in terms of like the writing, the storytelling, the stuff which they're really practiced and proficient at.
1: Um, yeah, it's quite interesting they're very. Like I said, they're very transparent about it. One of the interesting things I saw sort them of say was that um, at the moment it's quite hard to make money uh, because yeah. the trading isn't very good.
2: Well, uh, it is pretty easy to trade, but it, but um, the trouble is that you never actually make much money from it, yeah. And you tend to build up so and you build up so much terror, kind of going from A to B. That kind of it, it's largely you, you end up kind of in a in a vicious cycle.
1: It's not very profitable, and although to be honest, I I don't I quite like you think it would be boring tra- trading. Uh, trading is one of those things where it's, it it tends in games a lot, and it's not inherently interesting in itself. Mm. But because when someone C you're always journeying between all these different ports. I mean, it's abs- and every time you dock in a place, there's no reason not to explore the story in that place. No, totally. Uh, I mean, I, so I, it keeps I, it interesting.
2: I, I do think the basic, I do think the basic the sea does have on kind of a conceptual level is what's the point of the game? Um, because to a large extent, Fallen London, and there are kind of you know goals later on. I mean, there are kind of things like the, the um, nemesis quest and so on, which you can do. But fundamentally, Fallen London is just live a life and fall in Fallen London. Um, I think Sunless Sea kind of is a bit caught between, are you sort of chasing? Like the big objectives, are you trying to make a fortune, kind of big, buy a bigger ship? Are you going to do interesting stuff? And I think one of the, one of the problems, I'm actually going to bring up this later on when we move to the game which I've been playing. So I'm going to do too much here, um, is that there's a risk reward problem, mm. which is that Fallen London is a game where you can always take the interesting route because you know that nothing that bad is going to happen. And so it becomes, that sounds cool. I want to know what happens if I do this. And so you end up in these things where you'll sort of spend a week, um, uh, having a romance with with a demon or sort of something like that because it, it's fun, you want to see it play out. Whereas in Sunder Sea it's like kind of, well, I don't really want to ruin like the five hours of trading I've just done just on the off chance that this story will have an interesting resolution. So I think I'll play this safe and playing safe is inherently boring. Mm. Um so I, I do kinda of, I one one thing I'd really like to see them add is um different kind of sort of starting Things yeah for the different player types. Mm-hmm. So for example, if if you want to do trade, have say um, I don't know, blessed by the waves quality or something, which will kind of give you a boost at that. Or alternatively, adventurer on the undersea and that kind of sort of stuff. And you just really be able to sort of tell the game, you know, I don't care about this. Just let me at this part of your experience, and maybe I'll dabble in the others, you know, as I see fit. There's a
3: yeah, there, there's there's a couple of half finished mechanics in there that can. Whatever. Help a bit there. There's a, uh, I mean, th- there's the ability to pass stuff on to the next your descendant when you die, which uh, they I think they've said there's going to be more stuff you can pass on. Right now, it's basically just a house and some money. Um,
2: it's either maps, one of your stats, or um, one of your crew. Oh yeah.
3: yeah, but there's also you can write a will to move once you get a bigger house, and you can mm. move that along. I that. Okay. Um, and yeah, so you can give the larger house and, and also some money in the form of like the more valuable objects in the game can be turned into heirlooms and handed down that's cool um so you can give yourself a boost to the next one but yeah but by the time you've done that you that's taken quite some time to work up that amount of money at the moment um and similarly with when you start off it gives actually gives you a set of objectives for the game but at the moment it they those don't really feel like they're driving the game that much oh, like,
2: Well, at You've you've got,
3: you got, you got two right now you, so. you got
2: two. You've, you've either got make a lot of money And buy a nice house um, Or you have basically Find everything in the entire game
3: I, I love look, the but, fact that the, I, I, I really loved it when I first saw it The idea that your objective is to Write the great story of the sea Which you mm-hmm. do by discovering abstract concepts Like memories of a distant shore And things like that
2: <laughs> Uh, well that's all that's always kind of been the, the full London thing and that they, they love their um kind of obscure items. I think it's a really interesting clash that you kind of play the games and um they're kind of fairly opaque and kind of intentionally sort of very sort of flouncy and poetic. But then when you actually talk to guys like Electus, they are incredibly just open just to chatting and sort of talking about the details and um you know really do approach it on a much more pragmatic level.
3: Uh yeah, um so i mean uh, i don't know if the possibility is there maybe to make those objectives more defining or i mean some of the ones that are locked out cuz again the other great thing that they do for transparency is that they straight up have like l- um little conversations options and things that say this isn't in the game yet mm. and so you know what's coming up so you know that the cr- the crew members are supposed to have stories but they aren't in yet you know that there's going to be the uh, that you should be able to choose more um, options for your starting objective including start your own empire but it's not in there yet um, so hopefully that'll maybe give it a bit more of the direction because I, I agree you kind of get to this point where like okay I figured out how to make a small amount of money and then I guess I do that again and again until I can afford um, some really nice guns mm. <laughs> then I go shoot life, uh, then I go shoot icebergs
2: well, the thing is, I, uh, uh, um, when I was playing the previous version, I actually found a glitch which let me have as much money as I wanted, and the, there isn't actually that much feel of... The, the, the latest stuff doesn't actually feel any different particularly. Mm. Um, you know, so I think that's something which would be nice to sort of see improve, but certainly kind of playing through like go it's quite fun just kind of, I'm sort of sailing around in a completely illegal dreadnought, and, <laughs> um, you know, I have all of the guns, and I have all of the mirrors, and kind of I can sort of fight just about everything. Um but it didn't feel notably that powerful. It just means you can kill tougher stuff.
3: Yeah, I um, mean um, the main advantages to like to, to those uh, in those cases having a bunch of money for to buying the really big ships are just hit points, really. I mean, yeah, yeah. It, doesn't um, even
2: go, it doesn't even go any faster on the map. It's like I was kind of hoping to zoom around, but uh, it, it's really kind of more when you get into combat than that sort of plays. A... Yeah,
3: I mean, you you also get a bunch of um, storage space, but as we've said, there's not this. There's so little profit to be had trading that even with the enormous ship, you're probably not going to make that much money. Uh, Pip, what have you been playing lately?
0: Um, I've actually been playing, well, I've played quite a lot of Dota, but um, I (gasps) have been playing a few early access things myself. So uh, the one that I spent a whole evening streaming the other day was The Forest. Um, that survival horror game where you've sort of just landed, well, crash landed, uh, there was a, basically a plane crash and, and you ha- pick your way out of the wreckage and, and have to just survive. And then, you know, there's these sort of cannibal people who turn up and, you know, menace you a bit and y- you fight them back and, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so it's, you know, you, you can get the idea for what it is, um, And, you know, you can build survival stuff like shelters and fires and uh, huts and things like that. Um, The the weapon that you have when you start is a fire axe that you pick out of, I think it's out of a woman's body. Uh, Mm. I can't quite remember because I think I was trying, I'm trying to remember whether I picked it out of her body or whether I... I'm um, just remembering that I then tried to chop her up with it. Like, just to see whether that was, like, something that the game was encouraging. Like, not because I'm a crazy, crazy <laughs> maniac. But I, I, like... I, I, was
2: to- I was totally expecting. I was just trying to remember if I found a fire axe in a woman's body in the game or.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, like, because. I don't know, like, the the image that they're using to advertise it is this, you know, this dead. Air hostess, like just the the bottom bit of her body, and I don't know, like I I'm, not, I'm just not massive. concept, it's just like, hey, here's a sexy mutilated lady, uh, which is being used in the advertising of the game, and like.
2: Well, so what do you mean? It's just a pair of it, it's just a pair of legs, like Nanny from Muppet Babies has been brutally murdered.
0: So yeah, and they're sort of I, I don't know. It just feels a bit kind of. I don't know, that felt a bit distasteful. Like, not in any sort of madly big, pronounced, oh, God, this is an outrage way, but just in a kind of... You know when you approach a game and the imagery that they're using to promote it just makes you think, I don't think I'm on, a, on, on the same wavelength as these developers. Mm. It's more that feeling, you know? And so I went into it, and I was like, oh, you know, I wonder what I'm going to find. And, you know, like it was just you know murdering some rabbits and some um some iguanas and things and you can wear the iguana skin as armor and i was really hoping to sort of like get a third person view to see where i was putting this armor you know like what the hell am i doing with these like little iguanas am i just like making little like gauntlets or you know like what the hell um but yeah i, I can work out how you do that um or if you can at all but yeah so i was kind of like okay well i've got my armor and i've built my little shelter and i've you know got got fire going and things like that and then and then these like cannibal people i assume they're cannibals turned up um and like i think they well obviously it's supposed to be scary it's like a survival horror game but the way that they moved and the fact that they're kind of almost naked but their body models look kind of weirdly like gelatinous Mm kind of like they're covered in Vaseline or something. They just look really like overly sucked jelly baby people. Yeah, the the,
2: the face especially is just weird.
0: And so, yeah, they were kind of like...
2: It's the gritty
3: reboot of Gang Beasts.
0: (laughs) They were running towards me or like, you know, they'd sort of turn up behind you and you'd sort of hear, hear a noise or whatever and you're like, oh, okay, it's you. You know, like there was no sense of, you know, oh, I'm really scared or, oh, you know, that's... That's terrifying, because I was, I was all ready for that, you know, I was kind of, mm. and not in a ready, as in, you know, uh, that would have spoiled it, but I was in that mindset of, okay, well, this is a scare, you know, like, it's, it, it's a forest at night, and something might creep up on me, but the way that they did it, it was just like, okay, well, this isn't scary, you know, I was a bit like... Um, I was on edge when they first started approaching because I was just like, I don't know what you're going to do. And then as soon as I realised, you know, what they were, and that you know, I could sort of mostly just fight them off with my axe, then it was like, oh, okay, fine. And then, but then when you have hit them enough times, the way that you know that they're permanently dead rather than just lying on the floor waiting to get up and attack you again is that they kind of explode in a shower of body parts, <laughs> and then you can pick up the body parts and use them to make like totems and effigies and things. And I was just like, huh. Okay, so basically I've got a massive collection of arms at the moment um, <laughs> and heads, and I've got so many legs I can't pick any legs up, um, and so I, I use them to create, so I'm currently in the middle of building a log cabin to live in. <laughs> oh
2: please, Please say please, please, so you're doing it with the arms. <laughs>
0: oh, I wish, it won't let you, but like, so okay, so the log cabin, so... It tells you how much of each resource the the stuff will take at the moment. So the little uh, the basic shelter that you can sleep in at first has I don't know it it's eight logs of wood, eight branches and some you know some rocks or so you know it's something like that. There's basically a recipe, and then you sort of go over and you just fill in the blanks on like the the white ghost of a shelter that it's erected for you to to build at, um but then you know you've got things like this this cabin that i was building that's like 80 logs and i was just like oh god how many logs you know and i was wondering if it was going to get a bit like minecraft like you you pick an area and then gradually like the tree line recedes from where you are as you chop everything the fuck down <laughs> um but yeah and so i was in the middle of building that and then i had all of these extra arms so i thought well why not build like a flaming arm effigy out the front door <laughs> so like why not <laughs> and the, I think, one,
2: one raised finger up at the exit so
0: <laughs> well the thing is like i thought it would be nice because obviously there's seven hands waving hello to all the visitors that i could have you know and then so you build it and it sets itself on fire and you're like oh well you know that's nice i feel quite accomplished welcome everybody <laughs> welcome or, or, um,
2: what you have to say, do is sort of say that in a slightly scarier tone, you have the start of a horror movie, seven hands waving
3: hello,
0: <laughs>
3: but who to? To everyone.
0: <laughs> but, yeah, so like, I, I don't know. And then, you know, some more of them showed up and eventually, like, I think me and Chris Livingston established that it was because the hand effigy had stopped burning that they started attacking again. And so, like, at one point there were, I think, slightly too many of them, or they'd done slightly enough damage to my lizard armour that I got captured. And then you sort of spawn in a sort of an underground cave that's completely dark and you use a lighter to kind of find your way around. So they
3: capture you, they don't kill you.
0: Well, this is the thing. Like, yeah, (laughs)
3: who's the the bad guy
0: here? Well, I don't really know what happens at that point because I was wandering around in this darkened cave, and like, you know, my lighter kept going out every now and again. So at one point, it was completely black, and then I flicked the lighter, and it came on, and then there were like these like weird limb people. They weren't quite the cannibals. They were like sort of um like mutants almost with like just all weird limbs coming out of them and everything but like two of them seemed to have got stuck on a rock and so it kind of made it look like I'd interrupted them having sex and it <laughs> felt so awkward and I was just like oh shit I'll just leave you guys to it then this is a bit awkward <laughs> and sort of you know like backed away and then I was like oh do you know what I just I'm like I'm not having a survival horror experience at this point and I am gonna stop and do something else I was like right I'm I'm out I (laughs) I don't know where I am I don't know how to get out of this and I'm not particularly scared or like stimulated um so yeah like and it it was quite pretty in some ways but it was just kind of like I think it would benefit from some of the things obviously like *Sunless sea uses a lot of text and so it has a very different way of being able to signpost stuff but i would have really liked an indication of which bits were going to be tarted up for the final game Mm. because you know like if that's what the bad guys are going to look like forever then that's never going to be scary to me i guess I'm, or like, I'm... I don't know, maybe I haven't played it enough to know whether it gets scary or maybe, you know, like maybe they it builds menace in other ways. or But like, you know, when you, so when you're chopping down a tree, you sort of you hack at it with your axe and stuff. And then it like, you know, and it's all quite, it's not exactly real, but, you know, you, you make a dent in the tree and it's reflected by, you know, less... Uh, wood around the bit where your axe hit you know it, it, and then it starts to fall it kind of creaks and, and sort of topples over to one side and then halfway down or like when you know towards where it's going to hit the floor it goes plink and then you've got five four perfectly cut yes. logs mm. like just rolling down the hill next to you and you're just like you know I hope that that's going to be changed change because it's kind of immersion breaking at this point <laughs>
2: i was just looking at the pictures on Steam, and they are very confusing. Um, because you sort of you, you run through them, and it's sort of the first one is a guy hanging from a tree. Um, then you've got sort of the mutant sexy arm people. Then you kind of got sort of darkness and forest and chaos. And then the last one is just someone holding out a hand with a bird sitting on it, um, mm. like Cinderella or, or Snow whichever one it was did that to the Disney movies. And it's oh, just, I killed uh,
0: a lot of hawks. Just, like just... you can't even eat them. I just killed a lot of them.
2: So, so the, the the character will sort of reach out, kind of grab this bird, just sort of lean in and just bite its head off. And, hmm, tasty.
0: But like, well, so the hawks just sort of like hover around. They're kind of more like dragonflies in their behavior almost. And so you can just like hack them out of the air with your axe. It's just that with the rabbits and things, you can pick up and skin their bodies. But with the the hawks, you can't pluck them or anything. They are just like dead
2: this it's... is li- this is literally someone holding out a hand with like a pigeon or something. Oh to no, I've honest. seen it,
0: yeah, it's but just... like I haven't seen any of that in the game. <laughs> like I uh, maybe I'm doing it wrong. Maybe there's like press button to interact peacefully with environment that obviously <laughs> I'm not gonna find. Um, and the other thing is like I guess I don't know. Like I've been sort of thinking a bit about what the 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 lore of the world might be i guess and and so some of the arm people that you were talking about like some of them are are people that have like arms strapped to their backs as like kind of yeah like i say kind of like this totemic or you you know, not kind just of really wanting a spare, and then like you
3: can't criticize that. You, if you're carrying like half a dozen arms yourself, that's probably what you look like. <laughs> I'm yes. not
0: wearing them; they're all in my bag. No, you're Obviously.
2: wearing the much more sensible iguana skin.
0: <laughs> I was carrying a leg for a while, but anyway. Um, but yeah, but then you've got these other like proper arm creatures, I guess, that look more kind of like a cross between like, like. Ents and people um, and so I was wondering whether maybe the, the the cannibal people kind of worship the Ent people and maybe that's the dynamic like maybe they took me down to the caves as a kind of an offering or something and I need to escape but I don't know like I said played, I played an evening I played it you know a few hours and, and sort of wasn't massively captivated by it and wasn't particularly bothered and it just felt a bit kind of oh, okay, I, I don't know like I don't know whether I've missed something or whether there would be something in, in the next hour or something that would explain it to me or that would, that would make everything clearer but um, The Long Dark's much better mm. have <laughs> been playing a bit of that as well.
3: <laughs> uh, I was going to say one last thing about The Forest before, I guess, talking about The Long Dark. Um, something I've occasionally seen thrown around for survival games and horror games especially is the idea that m- some of them are maybe being made uh, with the YouTuber Let's Play audience in mind mm. I don't know if maybe that's why you didn't f- you might have felt that it was a strange kind of horror experience that didn't work for you
0: Um, I don't I think that it should impact the type of horror that you get. I think that it's, you know, I think that these types of games do lend themselves far better to let's plays because the let's player can, um, can impose scream, their own can narrative. Scream, can or...
2: scream as if anything scary is
0: happening. Yeah, and and sort of, it, I I think that they they just lend themselves better to that format. But I I don't think that that's a reason that something would then not be as scary. I mean, it might be less scary for the person streaming it because they've got an audience and it mm. sort of, that does change the dynamic. Mm. And it becomes less scary because you are still sort of technically with people. You're not playing it in the dark on your own with nothing. Mm. Um, but then, yeah, like I, so yeah, I, don't, I, I think that I would say the forest, the, the developers of the forest should very much know about the, the, the YouTube potential of the game or the potential of the, the genre that they're working with. But um yeah, I don't I don't see that as a reason that it wouldn't fulfil the horror part of the I
2: I'm actually kind of been fairly annoyed with that. a lot of horror developers of late in that they don't really sort of seem to have much idea of what scary is it 's like kind of either it, either it 's like kind of yeah we have zombies, and those are scary right or it's uh, jump scares and um, and kind of um the number who can really kind of create an oppressive atmosphere where you actually sort of feel under threat rather than you know at risk of being slightly put back so I seems guess to be
3: a- yeah I guess that's what I was wondering about because, um it's probably a bit unfair to blame it on as players to be honest if i i 've seen comments to that degree that maybe that preponderance of Jump scares is influenced by that because it does translate well to the let's play format. But to be honest, that said, you know, people do people try and do horror with jump scares, uh, and overdoing that has been around for a long time, before games even.
0: Mm.
3: You know, it's the easy option.
2: Mm. It's also one which I hate. I hate jump scares, the mad passion. But I think I there's also the trouble that I find with horror that there's, there's always this issue. I think they, they tend to work better in quick bursts. Because once you've seen The Thing, it's sort of not scary. I mean, of course, The Thing in the game, not the movie. Um, Once
3: you've seen The Thing, nothing else really
2: compares. The Thing thing is not scary. It's like it it never was. But um, it was... Um, I think the, the thing um, actually creates an oppressive atmosphere quite well. Oh, it creates an oppressive atmosphere, but it's like kind of you aren't, you don't have that sort of sense of, of, of fear. It's kind of you, you kind of you empathise with the characters, kind of draws from it. Well, I think what a lot of people sort of, talk, um, sort of took from that is well, we create a sort of spiky organic monster, and we've done it. Um, I think even Whereas, even, some, yeah. even some of the best games kind of will do that on occasion. Um, Penumbra: Black Plague um, was always quite funny to me because it sort of starts out really well. Where you sort of see all of these sort of um zombies kind of creeping around and they're quite intimidating um but then when you actually meet one in the flesh literally you find out you can actually um outpace them at just like a casual job and so every moment after that I just went, well bye
0: <laughs> mm. um, well that's the thing with these with these uh people or creatures or whatever i sort of just hit them a few times with my axe and then you know they they would sort of shower me with new limbs and then like with the the bit that was um underground and that was you know in in pitch darkness until you found your lighter like that just felt like an annoyance rather than a a, a A thing where I was actually scared because you know like when you're in the dark you can't see and and there's something there that might or there's the the idea that there is something there that might harm you then then that does make you tense and and sort of slightly frantic and you're sort of you know trying to to get this thing to work and slightly sort of ham-fisted I guess and there was just no sense of that it was it was kind of like oh well you know the light is flickering and I you know I can see what they're aiming at with that but it's you know it's it's an annoyance rather than a a fear-inducing experience. And, you know, maybe I'm being massively harsh on them because, like I say, it's, you know, it's in um, early access at the moment. But um, I think that when you play something that's in early access and that's the reaction that you have, I don't, I don't know, I think it would be harder to become scared by it because I've sort of seen the stuff that mm-hmm. they've got to offer, and yeah, so for the future, it's kind of like, well, you know, you know, they might be able to create like a more stressful or oppressive atmosphere, but I, I don't know that they'd be able to to bring back that, you know, that that sense of um, sort of fearful anticipation that I had going into it. You know, mm. that's that's been punctured.
3: That's a really interesting point. The uh, the way in which uh, early access could impact on horror, because um, yeah. Once uh, yeah, exactly, once you've seen the monster run into a wall a couple of times, it's going to lose its scariness. Mm. Uh, but on, I guess on the other hand, if you are constantly updating something, there's that could mean they can just slip something in there that will take you by surprise.
0: Yeah, or they could rework like whole things, or you know, monsters, or uh, movement patterns, or something. You know, to to somehow tap into that sense of the uncanny or that sort of. Unease that you can generate in people, like that it it might well do that. It's just that at the moment it it kind of just felt a bit silly mm. or a bit daft, and you know I would have just preferred it to be a an I'm wandering around the forest kind of sim until they get the other stuff right.
2: I mean, I think I think one of the problems they've got with a lot of horror games like this is I think that they're best in short bursts. And I've kind of found this with a few of the ones which have been sort of saying, let's do Minecraft, but let's make it horror. And it's like, kind of, it's sort of, that's going to last maybe five hours tops, and then you're just playing Minecraft except instead of creepers, it's zombies. Um, It just doesn't seem like a sustainable thing unless they've got you know a really, really good idea to kind of go on top of it.
0: Mm, I'm just, yeah, I'm wondering whether maybe they're like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, it's a Yeah, so I I just didn't particularly feel any degree of fondness or desire to keep playing with that one. I mean, I'll you know I'll probably go back to it and and see whether it gets better or different, especially in those cavernous bits. Mm. But at the moment, I think I think you just see too much, and the bits that you do see just sort of feel overblown and ridiculous rather than rather than subtle and scary. And that maybe that's just more to do with how I get my scares, but I don't know. Or maybe survival horror doesn't actually mean being terrified anymore. You know, maybe it's, it's become something slightly different, just sort of, you know, menacing um, survival experiences, you know, rather than horror.
2: Well, I'd certainly like to see much more in the way of um, Survival Against the Elements, which sort of seems to be more kind of gamey than, you know, zombies. Because, I mean, zombies, you you kind of know what you're doing. You hit them with a crowbar or whatever, and they're sort of dealt with.
0: Well, Um, that's what Andy Kelly was saying, and I think he wrote a a post about it on PCG. But... um yeah, it's like it's hard to make those those survival mechanics like long term interesting, I guess, unless you mm-hmm. sort of manage to make it true. But I mean, you I know, that I Minecraft buildy. True, kind true. Of but I'd si- argue the same thing though. kind of
2: works with um, zombies and so on. I think that they've also got a fairly short shelf life. Um,
3: it's I don't, I don't know. It's one of those things. The uh, the survival with no enemies. It's one of those things that people always talk about. About how wouldn't it be great if they if they did it but no one really knows for sure whether it would work or not. Well, the that thing that
0: is, happened? I think that it that, would that work to... in Daisy if they took out all the zombies and you were mm. surviving against the fellow competitors, because yeah. that's basically what you're doing for the most part anyway. I always feel vaguely kind of, why the hell are there still zombies here? Because they are just not the scary thing about this. Like I have no interest mm. in the zombies in Daisy. It's it's everything yeah. else. Like the it's the survival because it's brutal in terms of survival well, that, and it sort of
2: turns into rust, which people... I think will probably explain why so many people are playing that one at
3: the moment then they take, actually take the um zombies or zombie like enemies out of rust yeah yeah,
2: I, I don't know if they've replaced them with anything um but i know I know they would never plan to keep the zombies in they they got rid of a ago.
3: yeah i um i've I've heard i think uh, at one point rocket explaining the idea behind zombies that there he was more that they were an environmental hazard that they were to keep you on your toes and to keep it oppressive, but no I totally get get what you mean there. although um I guess that's not entirely. I, I, that's not I, like the fully sub, just surviving against the elements. I, I'm, I'm, actually, I'm, say, the I'm
2: actually say that I think the zombies in Daisy do help it because they just kind of provide that sort of um, focus for the game. And I think I think the Daisy a lot more of it than often gets credit for is about the atmosphere, um, and I think that, and I do for me, anyway, I do think the zombies and kind of the the setting are part of that. Um, that it's it, even, even if they're annoying for me, it's more kind of compelling poking around um the zombie infested chenaris rather than just like the empty island of naked people in rust it just that doesn't really have any all i well, all i think with that one is this doesn't make any sense whereas i can kind of conceptualize daisy more easily um, yeah
0: but i mean if you want an environmental threat i mean you could always add in you know like wolves or something that have moved in post-apocalypse you know you
2: so, could, you could. I, I, I think that, that despite the fact that they've been incredibly overplayed, I do still think that the zombies have a certain resonance. Um, although I think the Daisy is kind of grandfathered, I don't think another game doing it now would get away with it. Um, but, but I, I think certainly when, when, when it came out, kind of they were still fresh enough that it kind of was was a big part of the draw. Um, I, I always find that they' kind of if it, that for me, I think if it's wolves and so on. Um, i I don't find them i don't find them as interesting as opponents um even as like regular kind of zombies I'm kind of very much into kind of human enemies but anyway that's just a personal taste
3: um so the long dark better than the forest in your you uh, you think that
0: uh yeah well i mean i've only i've played uh less of that i've played maybe an hour of it uh, at the moment i'm um, going to go back to it after this podcast actually um um what happened was i sort of spawned in this snowy uh forest area and then you you go down a, a uh, slope into these uh, little log cabins and sort of started to find you know things like um, you know jumpers and rations and things but there's clearly not enough there to sustain you and your, your calorie requirement um, for, for long so it sort of forces you to to keep sort of exploring and um at one point i came out of one of the little cabins and um there was a wolf and it menaced me so i went back into the cabin until it went away (laughs) um and then i did a bit more exploring so like you're you're walking around and walking actually takes quite a long time but i didn't mind because it felt true to the to the game and like it's it's really beautiful like the aesthetic is absolutely lovely it's kind of like um it It reminded me almost of shelter actually uh although not quite as stylized or as as sort of pastel-y, but um definitely go look up some some screenshots uh if you haven't seen any already um but yeah i sort of i was exploring and i i found like a a dam uh office building thing um uh, well, you know, like the the human sort of control center that's set into the side of a dam and um, like went in and had a poke around and found some bits and, and also found a, a dead body sort of in the corner and just sort of like took the painkillers that he had on him and like a couple of other things and... Um, was then following along a train track uh to sort of hopefully find some more food and some more some more suitable clothing and and things like that but um when i was on my way uh, along this train track, that's that's as as much as I've managed to explore at the moment. Um like your feet get super cold, like you know, it starts saying, Oh, you know, my feet are freezing and all this stuff and you're just kind of like, Oh, okay, like the game thinks I have feet, you know, and, and it's it's just a weird touch like that. Like um like in, in other games you'd maybe expect to just be told that you're getting colder or you know for there to be a bar on the side or whatever but i guess for it to acknowledge the specific body part it, you know it just stuck out to me as as something a little bit different and like the pacing is is very different to the forest because the forest you know you sort of you land you crash land and and come to and and then suddenly you're where you're immediately like hacking down trees and things like that, whereas this is I have a storm lantern and a jumper and some snacks you know mm. um so it feels like the pacing is more appropriate i think, and it it feels it, it is slower moving and I think it wouldn't always you know be the right thing for the for every mood but i was yeah i was I was very much. Enjoying that a heck of a lot more. Um, there's there's going to be you know story mode where you try and I think find out what's happened in this uh, apocalyptic scenario. But this is very much the the sandbox alpha survival thing.
3: What have you been playing recently, Richard? <laughs> Sorry, I don't have anything more to say. What? Also, I've been going for a while.
0: No, it's just a pause, and then that. Well, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> I,
3: I,
2: I, I do believe that if you are playing the game, you've just got a very cold shoulder.
3: <laughs> well, it's kind of okay. I'm gonna let, leave a the pause there in case Richard wanted to say something, but since no one is saying anything, I would
2: move it on. <laughs> it is, it is not one I've played, unfortunately. So, unfortunately, I got nothing on that one. Um, I've been playing uh, 80 Days on the on the uh, iPad. Um, it's basically um, a Really fun kind of adventure slash uh, rogue style conversion of the um, much beloved Around the World with Willy Fogg, only instead of a lion, you're playing some guy called uh, uh, Passport Toot, and uh, uh, instead of Willy, it's uh, some, some bloke called Phileas. So that's kind of weird, but um, it's a really really fun take on it. Uh, it. It's basically the idea. The idea is much like um, the original Around the World in Eighty Days, and that Phileas Fogg takes on a bet to go around the world in. fairly guessful amount of time but unlike the original book um he doesn't actually have a plan in mind and also the world is this alternate history steampunk thing um and so basically you end up going to uh from london to paris on an underwater train um to a world's fair where you discover um all this sort of stuff about mechanical golems and kind of how the entire political system is Totally different from reality. And then basically it's just, you now have 79 days, or where do you want to go next? And you sort of work your way around um, sort of going city to city, having sort of stories in them and on the way, and um, collecting items and kind of making decisions, and basically just trying to, to get back to London um, in the shortest amount of time, ideally without far going completely bankrupt in the process.
0: Ooh, I remember I got... Uh email about that game and it was saying that there were one of the one of the points that got highlighted in the press release was about the amount of choice that you have in the game so hmm. is that is that a notable level of of choice like what
2: it, it is i mean it, it's, it, it's it's kind of on two levels um in that the route that you take is completely up to you um in that you you arrive in the city basically you explore the city or you talk to people or maybe you um Previously, you've collected a timetable or kind of some other ways to to, to know where everything's going. But basically, you arrive, and then kind of the alternate routes all sort of spread out. So, say, from Paris, um, you might head up towards, say... Amsterdam, or alternatively, you might decide to jump onto the Orient Express and go down towards Vienna. Um, then, after that, it's like, do you do you want to go through Africa, or are you going to go through North America? Um, and because it's all based on the cities, you can chart basically whatever crazy path you want, um, and either sort of try and make the most direct line, or maybe kind of sort of take. Um, jumping off points to kind of go and buy and sell things and sometimes the stories will force you to um when i was playing through i got to um oh i can't remember exactly where it was it was somewhere in africa um and basically got um abducted by this senegalese revolutionary woman um who poisons passport and sort of says that uh um she'll only let you have the antidote if you deliver a package for him and so you have to kind of make the sort of call of the you know, is issue bluffing you know um or do you kind of go and sort of take this sort of detour to Timbuktu and kind of sort of find out what's going on that way? And then what? What so you got that, like, the whole um, routing level. And then in the individual stories, you also get choices, sort of choose your own adventure style, uh, which will determine, you know, occasionally what happens, although you're more a tourist rather than, like, um, the person who sort of comes in to solve everyone's problems, very deliberately. Um, the author, uh, the author um, Meg... Um, Jans, I think his, his name is. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, I think that, that kind of one of the annoying things about the original book is that it is sort of very traditional in tone you know these sort of two white victorian guys kind of come into all these foreign countries and sort of start messing around and she was sort of very um insistent this time that wouldn't be the case that you do sometimes get to do that um but a lot of the other time yeah, the npcs are the more active ones so the the princess character uh from the original book is nothing like that in this version and um quite often you're sort of and the the cast is much wider and um more diverse um, you know, sort of female golem engineers and inventors and sort of train drivers and um, where you would kind of go for who um, in the original book would have been considered savages, for instance. In in this version, you know, they're setting up their own empires and they're kind of inventing their own sort of steampunk devices. Um, and it's just it's just really nicely handled. Um, going from going around the going around the um, the map, it's not like every city is a pure kind of, sort of like isolated city of adventure you'll kind of get references in Europe that might come into play while you're over in Russia. Um, or um, a, 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 an item picked up in Paris might then later on be incredibly useful for winning over someone's attention, um, I don't know, when, when you're over in North America or sort of something like that. It, it, I dread to think how complicated you know, the overall design is, but it's just it just comes together really nicely. It's a, um, one of those kind of great games where they've got a, a, a very clever idea and executed it really, really well.
0: Hmm. It sounds like a cross between um, a choose-your-own-adventure and ticket-to-ride, the board Yeah, game. very much
2: so, very much so. Um, I mean, for example, you, you, when you arrive in town, um, you'll quite often have to kind of sort of choose your next destination. And so there might be a train in two days which goes to a place, or you could get an airship now, but it might not go in kind of a close enough direction. Or you could maybe um, buy so you using some money or maybe kind of using fog's influence you could say to the trained people well, how about we go now and i'll sort of slip you 500 quid um uh, yeah and like i said it, it it's, it's really kind of a really clever rooted system
3: mm. yeah that does sound like it has quite a lot of variation so I, i'm guessing from the amount of variation that you've said is in it then that there isn't like an Critical paths, really. That
2: not not even close. Literally, the it's not a case
3: of if you choose to go to on the Orient Express instead of to Bombay, that's it. You're never going to make it. No,
2: absolutely not. Uh, I mean, I managed to get around around the world on my first try um, in like sort of seventy four days, Um, but people have done it in um, like sort of fifty nine. I think forty nine is the current record.
3: It's, sp- oh, it's it's like the original speed run redone. Well, it kind of,
2: <laughs> kind of it kind of is. Um, and but th- one another nice thing is that if you run out of time, um, the game doesn't stop. Um, so basically, it's like kind of well, well, we'll get back as quickly as we can, but you can still continue adventuring, and it's and it's fine. It's like we, we 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 both know you've lost, but we're not going to kind of sort of drop the boot on you um, just for the hell of it.
0: Well, because the con uh, the conceit in the book is is that he's it's just for a bet, really, isn't it? So, mm-hmm. like it 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 kind of the conceit means that you can just do that without it disrupting the story. It's not like you die if you're you know, like no. it's not like you were trying to find an antidote to something in eighty days. Like you you actually just sort of get to go. Do you know what? Don't care about the bet. I'm having a good time. Well, it,
2: it, it, actually, what, I think it, I, to be honest, is that and that basically they're a bit disappointed. Um, there's actually a really nice kind of bad ending, which I sort of found just by deliberately kind of going over the limit, which is that basically you get back and it's just like kind of well, well we lost, let's do it again.
3: <laughs> there's, uh, I was gonna say, I, I, I kind of wish that more games and more uh, just took their like their their starting plot point as we're doing it for a bet because it's 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 such an easy explanation.
2: I mean, the, the, weird, the weird thing is sort of something which um, sort of ties back to the original book, and that the reason for the bet in the first place is that they find out about this guy who's sort of written like a theoretical um, way of getting around the world in 80 days, and kind of the people that Reform Club are kind of, what? No, that's absolute rubbish. Yeah. And of course, Fogg decides to prove them wrong. Um, in this one, of course, there's no route. And so kind of 80 days is a completely arbitrary number. And like, <laughs> it, might, it might as well be a 95 or 112. Um but, but but of course it doesn't matter, I mean, it, it, it's actually really good about just, just I mean, the, the intro is literally one paragraph long, it's just basically, I started work for a New Master, he came home and said we're going around the world in 80 days, and then you pack your things and you're off, it's like kind of, there's there's no kind of prevaricating or kind of worrying about the details, and um, it, but there's actually a really fun element.
3: Um, oh, so you're, um, oh sorry. Um, your, your,
2: your passport toot.
3: Yeah, okay.
2: Um, Fogg Fog basically spends the entire time sit- sitting there reading a newspaper and being boring. <laughs> um, it, it's actually kind of creepy at times because basically, Passport 2 basically does, does literally everything. Um, you know, he pays for stuff, he works out which route they're taking, sometimes he sort of drives the vehicles. And at, one, at one point, he has to climb out onto a, um, a flying airship and fix it um, yeah, while everyone else sort of, sort of sits down and kind of goes, <laughs> Gasp. And and, and Fogg's response is just basically kind of oh jolly well done. Well, where where are we going next? (laughs) Um, There's literally one. I I literally found one moment of humanity from him in the entire game, Um, and that's I said. And it's an optional plot point, which most people probably aren't even going to have, where Passport Two got uh, poisoned, and you have this um, thing where you, you. you have to kind of, you, you sort of know that you, you need to go to Timbuktu to get the antidote. You have the sort of choice of, do you tell Fog why? Um, it's like, do you, do you make up some lie on the, on the line? So i like, oh, I'm, I've heard they have really fast airships. Or do you just flat out tell him the truth? And I kind of went with for telling him the truth. And it's just basically, well, of course we must go there then. Well, and it, it's kind of nice because previously he has been, you know, so finicky and fussy about everything. It was actually kind of nice just to have this sort of one moment of kind of, well, of course, of course that's more important than the bet. We'll, we'll make up the time later. <laughs> yeah,
3: um, I guess that's, is, um, I, read, uh, I read this a long time ago, but that's kind of one of the, uh, the original aspects of Fogg's character, isn't he? It's that he's extremely finicky and he's a bit of a shut-in and he basically has to have everything done a certain way and, and the, the journey essentially disrupts all of that.
2: Forgo was an interesting because you go back to the original book and kind of yeah he's so so anal about you know clocks and timing and never being a minute wrong and kind of all that sort of thing and. I think it is actually a bit of a problem for the book, so for the game, because he has no personality, um, in that literally he is a millstone around your neck for the entire game, um, because he, he never. It's really... almost like it's making some kind of comment on the class system. Well, it it, it, it kind of is. I mean, in the, what one of the weirder elements is that um, there's a health system, but it's not your health; it's Fox. <laughs> Um, so basically, it, it sort of starts off with with a um, hundred, and then basically, if you subject fog to um, you know difficult voyages or you don't have the right things packed, then kind of he, he sort of it will sort of go down. And when it gets low down, he starts getting ill, and then eventually, if he he if he gets too, if he gets too low, then you can't go on certain journeys until he gets better, and then you've got to sort of choose between getting him a doctor that takes like three days to get him back up to health, or um, you can maybe kind of find something in the market which will make him well enough to sort of survive the trip. But at no point does uh, Passport ever actually have any of his own stuff. <laughs> um, so it's, it's basically like, like kind of we're going through Siberia. I have bought you this fur coat, and I've bought you this fur hat, and I've bought you this thing. And I'm apparently still going around in my valet outfit, but that's not important because you are the master. Um, But it it did sort of of lead to this um, sort of alternate perspective that you can have in in that if you're racing as Passport 2, you can can basically um, brutalize Fog. (laughs) <laughs> um and I, I, I had this sort of, when, when i was sort of playing for the second time um and basically the, for the first time i played it through it was like kind of, we're going to sort of try and this pl- try and play this properly like kind of, as if it was the book's adventure the second time's like kind of right we're, we're going to just see how fast we can get from a to b it's like kind of so basically every town um it, it would be sort of someone pop out and says ah oh, Monsieur Passport, can I interest you? no no we're not doing an adventure we're not getting involved. We're going to the hotel. We're sleeping tomorrow at 9 a.m. We're taking the first train. And then kind of at the other end, it's like, uh, it's like kind of nope, not doing that. We're not selling anything. Nope, we're not waiting for, the, for that to happen. Um, and, and the thing is, obviously, because of not having sort of take, taken any attention, after a while, sort of Fogg's health was basically bottoming out. And um, it just sort of put me in mind of this sort of horrible situation where, where kind of you sort of have the... the, the um, the public presence, you know, Phileas Fogg being the master and to the good servant. But then kind of behind closed doors, just Fogg lying in a corner, just sort of pale and shivering. And Passaport said, no, master, no we we must keep making progress <laughs> let 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 me let me clip your mustache let me comb your hair and approaching fog who sort of sits there looking up in terror a single tear dripping down from his eye you have to look good for the bank manager tomorrow master must look good must look good um and like i like I, I don't think that's really where they were going with it but it is...
0: can you kill him no Mm. Um,
2: if he gets, to, if he gets to zero health, then basically you can't go anywhere until he gets better. Uh,
0: okay.
2: Um, you, you, you can't, as far as I know, you can't actually fail. Uh, well, you can fail to make it within your deadline, but, um, you can't die. Um, you can't get stuck. And the, the way, the way that it works basically, is if you run out of money, um, then you can, you can beg in the streets and kind of get money that way. Um, also, to at least some extent, I'm not sure how far you're allowed to take it. If it's if there's a limit, um, you can go to the bank and basically request more money be wired across. Um, mm-hmm. And so you start off with I think I think it's either three or four thousand, uh, which isn't going to cut it. And then the idea is you're meant to make money by um, sort of trading items around the world and kind of whenever you pick something up, it's like kind of oh this would sell for a thousand in Delhi or this will be five hundred in New Orleans. Um, uh, but you've kind of got these sort of escape actions. So there's like this, this extra level of the game um, of getting back to London in time, but also in profit, you know, so that it, it wasn't a complete waste of time. It's is also
0: there quite, any, I, I was going to say, is there any concept of like collecting things just for the sake of it, like in terms of tourism and mementos and things like that?
2: Yeah, you, um, you can, there's a market in just about every town where you can buy stuff. Um, and sometimes you get them as part of the stories. So for for example, one one of the um in Paris, um, there there's a bit where you're sort of talking to a lady artificer who basically in this world makes um steam powered golems and so on, and she drops a medallion uh, which you can pick up and you can give, you choose to give it back, you can choose to keep it. Um and then um later on you might be able to kind of use that to sort of say, But I'm an arti- I'm an artificer, look, I've got the medallion. Um or conversely, when you're on a train, um not every country is kind of keen on that stuff, so you might get sort of searched and there might be kind of questions to ask if you have the medallion and maybe they kick you off the train you've got to sort of find another route from there. Um, So there's a fair amount of branching um, and sort of tied to uh, how you can kind of go. And at the start of the game, what you have to play with is random. So in my playthrough, um, I started out for no apparent reason with a copy of the Russian tri- uh, train timetable. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not quite sure why Phileas Fogg, a man who never leaves London, would have such a thing. But
3: I'm just imagining him just just packing as they rush out of the house, just like grabbing <laughs> everything there like, Oh, actually, it turns out this will be useful. <laughs>
2: it, kind, it kind of is then. If you if you get the train timetables or kind of the airship guides and so on, then that automatically adds the routes to your map. Whereas other, uh, whereas, whereas other times you might have had to explore the town, which will sort of soak up valuable hours, or and and sometimes you just get um, bits of information that come in useful. I think what on my last playthrough, um, I was on the uh, Orient Express. And they were talking about the Trans-Siberian Railroad, or kind of, I may be getting the details mixed up, but it was sort of something like this. And sort of a character just sort of casually mentions, did you know the Trans-Siberian Railroad can actually go really fast, but the Tsar won't allow it. And it's like, oh, how fascinating. Thank you, my good man. Only in a bad French accent. And um, then, sure enough, later on, while I was actually on the Trans-Siberian Railroad, having decided to sort of take that path through Russia, just having my um, routes already kind of in mind, I was able to bring that up to the driver and to say, well, this, this, this chap I was talking to a while ago told me you can actually go three times this fast? Uh, would you care for a? I don't believe it myself. Would you care for a wager? Um, and so you can kind of play with things that way. And uh...
3: hmm.
2: it's a, it's a really, cool. co- it's a really cool game. I, I, uh, I, I enjoy this a lot.
3: No, it sounds it's, uh,
2: it's iOS only at the moment. So. It's iOS, and it's probably going to come to Android at some point next year, knowing Inkle because, um, I mean, they're, they're slowly bringing sorcery out onto Android, which is their previous game. Um, but for the moment, yeah, it, it's iPhone and iPad, um, universal app, uh, 2 dollars But very, very worth checking out, certainly more than that Kardashian mm-hmm. nonsense.
0: I have views on the Kardashians, but I, I suspect I would be banging my head against a brick wall with them.
2: <laughs> I, 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 I just... Can't I, I? I'm I'm doing all I can to avoid making poor, overused deep space nine puns.
3: <laughs> I'm surprised I, I, someone I, hasn't cloned it and reskinned it as that yet.
2: Well, I mean, I mean, I mean, it, it is basically a reskin. I mean, the original game was called um, Hollywood or something. They just sort of put the Kardashian stuff on the top of it. But um, actually, I don't. I don't even think it's a bad game. I think for what it is, it's fine. Um, it, it's just. It's just sort of weird to sort of see so many people going crazy over it. <laughs>
0: But then it's also, you know, I, uh, there's al- an awful lot of people making sort of lazy potshots about it because it's got Kim Kardashian's name attached, so...
2: Well, I think the thing is, I, I can't really make potshots, so I know nothing about her. Um, I know that at one point she made a sex tape and that she's got a reality show, and that is literally the sum to... I, I, I've got no no opinion you know about one one way or the other. I, ju- I just sort of played the game and, and just sort of um, really found it hilariously cynical. Mm. Um, like, like, oh, I think
0: it's cynical as all hell. I,
2: know, but... But that's, I think it's, I think it's when, you, when you sort of fire it up and it sort of specifically says go on dates to boost your career. And it's like kind of, I know one thing about this person, yet I know how appropriate that is. Mm. Um,
0: uh,
3: yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of fascinating in that in that um, I, I haven't played it myself, I've, but I have been watching everyone I know play it and post screenshots on Twitter. So the idea that the leveling system is basically you going from like D list to A list. Uh,
0: E-List. You start off E-List. I'm I'm currently E-List because I I just didn't log in for ages.
2: I I think the thing which I noticed about it was that, that, and again, I know this is sort of part of the thing, but it's like, it's about climbing up celebrity by not actually doing anything. so, So just... And it's just, just literally, literally, you sort of talk to a few people and it's like kind of, now you have 100 million Twitter followers. Isn't that
0: great? But the thing is, it's not doing nothing. It's gaming the systems that are in place. And so that's kind of why I'm interested in, in Kim Kardashian in some ways anyway, because she, you know, I mean, she had money and she had the, um, her family has the connection to the OJ case and she uh, was friends with Paris Hilton and stuff. But I mean, in terms of, what she is, she's kind of a nexus for branding. And I just find that fascinating and how you can achieve that and how you can sort of elevate your entire family with that in, in terms of, you know, both in terms of money and in terms of profile within society. I just, it's fascinating to me.
2: I I think the the weird thing about the game though is, um, the, the sort of the starting point and kind of how it sort of approaches that. And it's, it's, I think, I think it is a really interesting game. I think that, um, I'll probably sort of play more of it to kind of sort of take a look at it if you didn't kind of hit the um, grinding point sort of very early on and it's like kind of that point, you no. Know, uh, um, but, I mean, early on, I actually, I quite like things like how um, you, you basically sort of start off and then kind of just random characters, like kind of, what, who the hell do you think you are? And it's like, I don't think I'm anyone. Right, but I'm going on my Twitter feed to complain about you. Um, mm,
0: that's Willow, I, isn't it? Yeah, Willow,
2: Willow, Willow something or other.
0: Pope. I think, peep. Hmm.
3: Well, shall we answer some questions?
0: Sure.
2: Yeah, go ahead.
3: Hey, I've got a couple saved up from last week because so we kind of cut off our podcast towards the very end uh, due to Skype problems. Uh, so uh, Tim Harris asks, I feel this terrible urge to ask this is like in, in Jerry Seinfeld voice. What is up with the trees in Dota? Do the heroes eat them? I don't understand. Are they
0: tasty? <laughs> <laughs> the heroes do eat them. Like I, I don't know how much Tim's played. I think he's more into league. Maybe like he's someone who pops up on my Twitter feed every now and again. I think he's more into league. But yeah, I mean, if if that's a, an actual question, <laughs> yeah, you can eat them. And, he,
2: he'd know yeah. if he'd been tangled.
0: Um, you can eat them and regenerate some health or you can eat them to clear a path through bits of the map or you can chop them down with a quelling blade to do the same or with various hero abilities I don't know, I think it's really neat that you can manipulate the the environment in that way and sort of find new paths and things
3: There's some heroes who have special abilities to do with them as well
0: Yeah, Yeah, that's what I was saying like Timbersaw can like Propel himself, you know. If there's a tree for his, like thing to latch onto, and uh, you know, some of some of what he can do, like chops down a whole heap of trees in in one place, and uh-huh. you know, there's there's a lot of yeah, or like um, wind, wind, some wind, ra- thing wind, lets wind you... ranger
2: sort of sticking people to a tree if there's mm. one behind them.
0: Yeah, and like uh, there are a few things that like la- like uh, specter's dagger like lets you pass through stuff if you, uh if it's in the way of the dagger, like as it. Uh, as it leaves a trail on the ground, and you can just move across that and move you know like up cliffs that you wouldn't be able to anyway, or through trees and things, and obviously other people can't follow you, so you can use it to like escape things or you can sort of hide behind them and, and use that to mess with um the fog of war and line of sight and things so that you can you can avoid people killing you if you I, I, I,
2: I, I idly wondering if there's a response if someone tries to use a tango on protector
0: <laughs> I don't know actually. I think I don't think so because I think it's just that it drops it in your inventory mm. so I don't think it would trigger a voice line, but it it, would it's just, yeah, but it, it, really,
2: it really should. It's like, I think,
3: I mean, that' would be the ultimate and that, I think be he apologizes
0: episode. when he uses one
3: <laughs> I think uh, yeah, this, um, I, I do find that kind of interesting that, uh, Dota that you've got these terrain features that like are kind of background to most players, but then if you're, if you're playing a specific hero, it suddenly become very important. Like you're going to be thinking about trees a lot more if you happen to be playing sim- Timber Soul,
0: or even if you do, if you're trying to do particular things, like you can pull uh, neutral creep camps through gaps in the trees and sort of, you know, alter the amount of jungle farm that you can get off the back of that. So yeah, there's like there's a lot of strategizing that involves using the trees. Mm. So yeah, fascinating stuff. Fascinating <laughs> dendrology in Dota.
3: Um, Nick Wheeler asks, have you ever had to escape from a locked room with only a pencil and newspaper? Doesn't work, does it?
2: No, it doesn't. That's why I hate that puzzle so much. Every single thing about that puzzle is bullshit. There is no space underneath the doors to get the paper out. The key would bounce off the piece of paper even if you tried it. And here's another one. Who the hell leaves the key on the inside of the lock like that anyway? Dear adventure developers in the entire universe, stop doing that puzzle.
3: So I think I I think I heard that. Like I remember reading about that um, trick in the Famous Five. That's how old that is.
2: Well, I think what, what frustrates me about that puzzle is that it's a shit puzzle. <laughs> but, but but I mean it, it's it's the smugness of it. It's it's that kind of um, we bet you haven't thought of this one. It's like kind of everybody knows this thing. Um, and it, it
0: depends it, on the game, doesn't it? Cause like no, if you put it in no, an os Uz- no, no cause <laughs> if you put it in like an Osborne puzzle book or something, and it's like an eight-year-old's first time of encountering that, if, like if, that's why those if, things if, are if, uh, are popular. If, you know, there's you, always you, going you write, to be a first write, time.
2: If you write it in something which intended for an eight-year-old, then I'll give it a pass, even though I think it is so lazy that at this point they're they're going to know it anyway. But I think when you're sort of playing a game which sort of intended for you know for Adults and kind of, especially if it's in a genre like adventures, you know, where people have sort of seen these puzzles before. Um, I ho- I hold that it should be a course for the developer to be locked in a room with the key on the other side of the door, with a sheet of paper saying, "Now you bloody try it." <laughs> the 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 one time there have been a couple of subversions I think were quite funny. There was, um I think it was um, Zork Grand Inquisitor. Um, where there isn't actually a lock on the door, but you can cast a spell that puts one there. So kind of like the, the magic itself kind of sort of puts the key there, and so it's like it's not being designed for that. Um, and then of course there's the infamous uh, full throttle uh, example, um, which I again, do ever know that one? I think yeah, I may have yeah, talked about it before. Um, basically just, just um, the comparison between the two styles. Yeah, either doing the the pencil and the um, using a sandwich is like the newspaper and pencil thing versus kicking down the door. Um, but no, I, I just think it's a puzzle that should be banned. And while, um much like it, uh, sliding block puzzles being used to protect things and the Towers of Hanoi, ever, um, are just on my list. There's a recent game called Quest for Infamy, and um, it has like it uses a chess puzzle. Uh, it, well, not so not chess puzzle. It's that peg thing. We have like the triangle full of pegs. You've got to um, basically jump over them until there's only one one peg left. And when you finish it and try to use it again, it actually gives you the error message, you have no need to play this puzzle again. And it's like, yeah, I I want that screen printed out and put in the offices of every adventure developer ever. Just, Just no, stop, stop. Stop! It's actually reached the point where a couple of times in games I've been stuck because I've been giving the developers too much credit. It's like kind of no, 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 no. Such and such would never do this shitty ancient puzzle. There has to be another solution. And then like half an hour later, it's like kind of oh, sod it. Piece of paper under the door. Get the key out of it and walk walk off mumbling like an old man.
3: Okay. Um, <laughs> so uh... anyway,
2: in, in answer to your question, no. Uh, because I have Yale locks. Good luck. I, 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 did, I, did, um, I, I did actually um, think that uh, adventure. there's an adventure convention every year in December. Or at least there has been for the last couple of years. And I maintain that the one, the one genuine use for that puzzle, which I would totally do if I were running Adventure X, um, is that when anybody got there, the door would be locked. And to get into the convention, you would first have to find a way through it. Uh, and yeah, with, with, with a ha- with a handy like kind of sort of pencil and piece of paper on the nearby door. I think that is the one time I will allow it. E- everyone else, I'm here by banning it in my my role as supreme arbiter of taste, which I have, by the way.
3: Okay. Nick uh, also asks, uh, where do all the exploding barrels in games come from? Who put them there, and what are they filled with? Uh, well, if you've read the webcomic Concerned by Chris Livingstone before he became a games journalist, I find it it gives you a thorough explanation of of how that happened.
2: Well, they they come from the barrelling plant, clearly.
3: Mm.
0: We should <laughs> link to that in the show notes.
3: Mm. Um, uh, sh- I I okay, this is gonna be a tricky pronunciation, guys. Revenue I'm sorry if I've gotten your name wrong. That's probably not your real name. <laughs>
2: um, well, the, the, the username is Reuben Cummins.
3: Uh, <laughs> um, uh, what food in a game makes you hungry in real life? I think someone asked something similar to this before. And, uh, I think it
0: was Best Food in Game, maybe. Yeah. was the one before. Um,
3: and it was interesting because I kind of realised that there's not actually a lot of very appetising food in games.
0: No, or it's not mentioned in a way that's, that's appetizing. Like it's not that you're ever sort of in a banquet hall and people are talking in a sort of excited way about food. It's that you, you come across these things in your travels and they're very sort of perfunctory or mechanical in there. In, in your use of them, and so it's not like you sort of find a tin of peaches and you actually think, "Oh, you know that that has any connection to tins of peaches that might exist in my cupboard at the moment." It's it, it they they feel so divorced from any relationship that I have with real food.
2: Well, the the context can kill it as well. Because I mean, the chicken in Castlevania does look quite quite nice, uh, but I'm not sure I'd really want to get my chicken from bricks in Dracula's castle. Hmm. <laughs>
0: But it's stuff that's like a smell, you know, like it's things like hot buttered toast when I see someone else having it and can smell it that makes mm. me hungry. And so I don't, you know, like I'll, I'll sit and I'll play a game and sometimes I'll think, oh, I'm actually quite hungry now, but that will be completely independent of what's going on on the screen, I think.
2: Well, I was say that there is a blog called gourmetgaming.co.uk, um, which is kind of cool. Basically, um, it's um, a woman called Daniela. Um, I'm not sure when she last updated it. Uh, Two weeks ago, so it is still live. And basically her thing is that she actually makes the foods from games. So mm-hmm. on the uh, front page at the moment, there's the cake from Portal, um, mm-hmm. the Bioshock Infinite Hot Dog, uh, the Legend of Zelda Rudd Potion, uh, the Beyond Two Souls Asian Beef, the Super Time Force Cookie, uh, and more, most disturbingly, Estus from Dark Souls.
0: Hmm
2: interesting but um she's got quite about five or so pages all, all with kind of um very attractively made uh, uh, photos She just look some of it does look really really nice also there's, there's actually another blog um called feeding hannibal or something like that um, which is the the um was it the foodie lady or something i think she calls herself on on that show um so talking about how they make kind of hannibal lecter's gourmet meals and uh, mm. what they represent <laughs>
0: Nice. Mm. So yeah, I guess the answer is none, <laughs>
3: except possibly all that stuff on that website that Richard just mentioned.
0: But that's still like that's not video game food. That's food that somebody has made that they have seen in a video game. So it would still be the food rather than the video game food.
2: Well, no, that they're, they're based they're based on kind of the game first rather than um, just sort of doing the thing. So yeah, think, but what think, I'm saying is
0: I'm seeing food rather than I'm I, you know like the question was like about food in video games and so I have never like I just don't feel like it is food in any way that I recognize like even if it looks like food it doesn't fulfill any of the functions or cater to any of the sort of the stimulation that I get around real life food and so that's why like the blog you'll look at it and I you know I'm not looking at it right now but um you know, if, if uh, is it just photos of food that someone has made?
2: Oh, yeah, based on, based on the food which, which uh, yeah, caught culture interest in, in the games.
0: But so. what I'm saying is that for me, it would be a picture of real food that would be interesting and would maybe make me feel hungry for that food rather than the video game part of it. So, like, regardless of where it had its inspiration, it's not because it's video game related, it's because it's actual food. If that makes sense, that distinction.
2: Right, um, I was actually thinking that, that one exception would be that sometimes if you uh, play zombie games, the humans do look delicious. <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, uh, Pip, do you have any more questions? Because
0: I uh, There are a couple. Um, one is, uh, which kinds of free-to-play or microtransaction uh, models in games do you find fair and not corrupt? And where do you draw the line? That's from Liam Warner.
3: Um, corrupt is kind of an odd to, word to use. Um, you know. Um...
0: Mm, I think the the fairness is more. Yeah, um... I suppose you know. Well, for microtransactions, like I. I guess it's you know obvious what I'm gonna say, but I like I do like Valve's approach because it basically makes the whole game free to you. It's just all the other bells and whistles that you might want to add yourself, but are in no way pressured to do.
3: Are you going to give us an update on how it's just with hats. Do you
0: want me to look it up?
3: <laughs> yeah, go on.
0: God, how much was it last time?
3: I, it was quite a lot. I, I remember someone replying to the podcast saying that. When you said the number, they gasped so loud someone 15 metres away turned around and looked at them.
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I think it was... Was it about $200 or something? Does that sound about right?
3: Um, Yeah, possibly. Uh, while you look that up, I'll guess. I i don't think I've ever actually spent as much.
0: Oh, yeah, no, it's a bit more than that now.
3: <laughs> no, how much is it now?
0: Do you want to guess?
3: $400.
0: No, not as much as that. <laughs> $300? A bit more,
2: three <laughs> hundred and fifty. And is this is this including anything bought at the international, or is that a separate this thing? This is three
0: hundred and thirty-six pounds, dollars six uh, and thirty cents.
2: Oh, one second. <gasps>
0: <laughs> so yeah, um, that's just yeah stuff that I have spent in game. That's not like secret shop money. That's not anything else. That's that's in game spending. <laughs> that's
2: a lot of hats.
0: That is a lot of hats. It's a lot of robes and wards and couriers. Couriers are my downfall. But like, but that to me is like I've spent over what thirteen hundred hours on that game. So mm. like, it doesn't ever feel disproportionate. I mean, it's a lot of money for one game, but it's also a lot of time and a lot of enjoyment. So I don't know, like, and the fact that I actually get the core product for free. It's just my own inability to resist an octopus that brings me things uh, you know i uh, i basically have an octopus butler i'm, I'm sorry but that's <laughs> worth the money to me
3: <laughs> yeah it's a uh, it's interesting actually i was gonna say because to, uh, to the opposite of that i've never spent more on a free-to-play game than i would have spent on the on a full price game um mm-hmm. uh, which, which is probably why I'm fairly relaxed about it, to be honest, and possibly because I, I, I don't play a lot of, um, and possibly because I mostly play them on PC, which tend to be, uh, which tend to be maybe a little bit more, um, more generous and a little bit less aggressive with the free to play than say iOS or something like that.
2: Yeah, because well, I, I just don't, I just don't even touch the iOS ones because I just going into them, I just don't trust them. But on on PC, I like the fact that a lot of them are. Um, horizontal rather than vertical Mm. so you can kind of sort of pay for a wider range of things that you can do you know whether it's like kind of outright content packs or character classes um but for the most part people seem to be fairly good about not letting you buy overt power and i think that for for me while that's the system i'm basically fine with it Mm. um i've actually got a bigger issue when you've got kind of um in-game levels and things like kind of call of duty that i like a a fair fight as it were um
3: yeah i know what you mean um that's yeah, um, and Battlefield can be very bad for that. It's in because uh, for the most part, it's hor- it 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 seems horizontal, but the, uh, um, but it just doesn't pull it off well enough. And especially because it often gives you, doesn't give you like the important stuff, like the I can't remember if it's still a case in Battlefield Four, but like not giving you the um, resuscitation of a defibrillator right away, mm. of course you need to unlock it instead.
2: Well, I just tend to dislike even the the concept. So, so um, Blizzard recently announced they were adding effectively um, League of Legends runes um, to the games, like kind of artifacts or something like that. And I know that in practical terms, they don't necessarily have that much of impact, certainly not in kind of casual play, but I just don't like that even being part of the experience. Um, in I like to, to know that if I buy a character, that character is the same as everybody else's, give or take what they're wearing. Um, Likewise, in in what is something like tribes, I really like the idea that maybe a, another character class will be more powerful, but they will be powerful within their niche, and I'm yeah. I, I'm fine with that as well. Tribes did
3: it really well, I thought actually. Um, on a similarly with buying guns and uh, character classes, and again, I I played quite a lot of that game and probably yeah, still spent tried. about twenty pounds maybe overall.
2: Yeah, I think I think I did the same thing. I think I. I I, I wouldn't say I cap out at um, the price of an actual game, but that's all that I'm really prepared to pay unless it's really, really convincing.
3: Yeah, no, it's not like I've ever put a hard rule down, it's just that um, at the end of the day, once I've bought the things I want, it always seems to end up as being less than a full game.
2: I always find that with a lot of the stuff which I want to play, um, the paid-for stuff, I, I just it, it comes so late that it's just not really an issue. It's so like with with um, free-to-play MMOs, really you don't sort of start getting squeezed until the end game. And since I'm not really gonna be in a guild or kind of sort of caring about the dungeon stuff, realistically, it, it's not my problem. Um so I can have the journey for free and then kind of at the part where I get bored anyway, um, just sort of walk away.
3: Um yeah, I mean so um so specific games that I've uh free to play games that I've liked in you know, Dota, T F two, um, Send, uh what else is there? Um, Card Hunter, so just to put the occasional indie free to play game in there. Um, as I say, I haven't actually played Fallen London. I know it has an energy system, but I don't know if there's any like way around that. Or um, wait, well, wait,
0: like it, it resets over time. So you, uh, like, what I usually do is have it open in a browser, play my moves, and then write my article, and then go back mm. to it and do a bit more. And so that's because I was going to mention the games that sort of gate your access a bit. Um So, like, Candy Crush does it. The Kim Kardashian game does it. um Fallen London does it. But it's with Fallen London, it feels super gentle because what you get to do with those moves is actually really rich, whereas... Well, Kim-
2: Fallen fall, fall, fall London only really locks out the um, House of Chimes and, like, the occasional story. So, I mean, you still got... Like ninety nine point nine nine percent of the game, it's it's.
3: Because uh, uh, I remember I was talking with um, uh, Tom Senior about it, and uh, he was saying he feels like it would be kind. It, it would be a game that would really benefit from the sort of just pay us like twenty twenty five quid to to take away the energy bar forever kind of thing. I
2: I'm not I'm not sure it would be because I think that if you burnt through the content, then basically you wouldn't appreciate a lot it. So i think kind of the the, the the measured pace is part of it but i think the, the large thing with fallen london um certainly more so than most free-to-play games um is that i i never really get the sense that they care that much if you actually pay for it because mm. uh, I mean, they, they do they double your number of actions but it's really more do you like this game do you want this game to be able to continue running then do this thing we'll make a token gesture yeah, kind of with the, the House of Chimes and like uh, the occasional sort of storyline that you can kind of sort of skip past by buying next. But but it's it, 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 really your only benefit is you get twice the number of actions, but you're still going to run out of them in about about as much time.
0: But like, what I'm yeah, like the the only other point I was going to make was that at the other end of the spectrum, you've got things like Candy Crush where you know you earn a new. Um, attempt at a level every i don't know 20 minutes or something Mm -hmm. and it maxes out at five um and so you can actually you know like if you're just trying to power through a level you can burn through those incredibly quickly and so obviously you see where the temptation is that that people would spend money and also when you get to the end of a level and and you haven't quite Uh, met whatever objective it's given you um it then sort of gives you the option to either end the game or keep playing like and if you can see that you're maybe one or two moves away from being able to complete it then it does dangle that carrot of well if I pay for this power up or this you know like ability to continue then I would be able to move on to the next bit and actually Candy Crush I've like got pretty damn far through like over 100 levels into, without spending a penny on it and that's because I you know I I will actively resist that stuff I will happily just go no in that case well I'll play your five turns and then I'll you know I'll stop I don't care I'm not giving you my money and the same with the Kim Kardashian thing it's kind of like okay so I'm out of energy in that case well I might come back or I might completely forget about the game for a while but (laughs) I'm not paying that money like I have you know like I say I have a lot of respect for for the work that's gone into it and what it is and you know like the the fact that it is able to exploit those systems so well. And I think it's pushed a lot of them right up to the limit of what people will happily embrace. But I,
2: it was hilarious when it broke the so, other week.
0: Yeah. God, all of those responses, that was just the internet is sometimes a terrifying and disproportionate place. But um yeah, like, but, the, I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that I, with those kinds of things where it's aggressively trying to make me pay for something, it automatically just I I have my stubborn button pushed and I'm just like no, I will play to the letter of what you say I can play for free because I, 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 I don't think you've earned it, you haven't made me warm to you as a company, I don't think you're, you know, like that. that's the thing like there's no connection, that's always what it comes down to with me, it's like with all of these microtransactions and free-to-play stuff, it's like, do I want to reward you as a company? Do I think that you've made something that I'm emotionally attached to? And if you haven't, then... mm.
2: I, I, I tend to obliterate any games that fill my notifications screen ever. And it, it, it's like, if I'm playing it, if it's like kind of that you have a turn waiting and sort of something you're actually playing, I'm, I'm kind of fine with that one. But if I kind of wake up in the morning, pick up my iPad and it's like like sort of seven different X is waiting for you. Why don't you get some more energy? Why don't you do this? Like kind of uninstall. Mm. So it's, uh, um, it's like, I'm, I'm not willing to be part of that abusive relationship for one second longer than I have to be.
3: I was going to say that um, one Thing that's often missed out of the free to play discussion is that many of the systems that I relied upon here were created before free to play. I mean, the energy system was created by like World of Warcraft with rested XP. The idea was to force you into the, the idea wasn't even so much. Uh, uh The idea was to put you into get you into essentially a habit loop where it became a daily thing that you did. And of course, with when you when you attach a free to play thing to that, you've basically got them people coming and going. Either you give them their money, or you make it a habit. Um,
2: I, I thought the rest of XP was more from the other direction to try and cut down the amount that people were playing. Yeah, the, the the idea that you actually well, get a be- you actually get some benefit from leaving the game for a while rather well, than
3: yes, they didn't want people to binge on it, but also by um, I, from what I'd heard at least the logic was. Uh, the, the logic is that um, people who come back and play a few hours each day are going to turn into sustained customers in a way that people do oh, everything oh, in twelve that,
2: hours. Oh, that—that oh, that I have no doubts about. But um, I mean, MMOs basically are the most evil of um, psychology. But I, I think you now and it's sort of, of the, the, the energy thing. It, the, the energy thing in, in kind of sort of iOS games, especially, and that sort of annoying teasingness sort of drives me nuts. Uh, I think would be more I think it'd be a close thing if it's like um, you 're locked out of this raid for another week, but you can kind of pay x amount to kind of unlock it And i don 't really remember anybody doing anything like that prior to free to play kind of really making it doable but certainly every attempt to try and do um consumables in games uh before the i before um, the iPhone came along sort of seemed to end in bitter failure uh, so there were a couple of games that were trying to do things like sort of selling bullets and um you know betting on games and uh and kind of all, all of them were kind of sort of just turned down, kind of immediately.
3: I was going to say that um, one of the reasons I was bringing that up was not just because of the energy systems, but also because you, the way the things you were talking about, about um, overpowered, uh, you know, overpowered XP and weapon arcs and things like that, and people complain about that and blame that on free to play, but that has been around beforehand. You know, um, like almost every shooter I've ever played has come with the problem of uh, me instantly getting shot from miles away but with someone who has much better guns than i have i'm uh, well, i'm i'm fine with that. That i'm, fine, I'm fine.
2: see i'm I'm fine with that if I can walk around the corner and get the same gun um but I, I don't think it was really until kind of call of duty that that really became kind of locked down as the way that shooters were going to be
3: oh yeah no i agree but i mean um but uh yeah uh Battlefield in particular does that really poorly at times, but what I was trying to say essentially is that I don't really care if the person who shot me because they had a better gun earned that gun by playing for hours, or bought it. It doesn't doesn't matter to me, because I'm not going to do either. (laughs) Um, It's it's exactly as irritating. Um, So yeah, I mean, uh, so in that sense I don't blame free-to-play as much as I blame the system. Hmm. Okay, have we got any more
0: questions? Uh, There's one more, um, and it's about eSports. It just, uh, where's the balance between scoring, between lots of points scored and scoring points that mean something? And that's from Custard Smingley.
3: I'm not sure what that means.
0: Um, I assume it might be to do with the international or with, with watching Dota because when you have a a, a massive skill, a, a massive kill count, sorry, um, for your team, you can still be incredibly behind on a lot of other stats. And so I guess in, in esports, it completely depends on the gaming question, but... What you need to know is which are the key objectives at any point in time, whether that's that you need more experience or whether you need more gold to buy items or whether you do need just more kills on the board to to hmm. to do that or to to open up um, space to to maybe take a building down or you know something like that like there's essentially how. Certainly how MOBA's work isn't as straightforward as just looking at the score, because the score isn't the thing that determines who wins the game.
3: Is this linking to your sort of Rat Dota uh, article, kind of?
0: It, it touches on that, actually. Um, but um, So basically, you know when you're watching football, mm. and, yeah, all you really need is to be able to see a, a certain point proportion of the pitch at any given Mm. time you need to see the score and you need to see the time Mm. and the names of the teams (laughs) but that's that's the information that you need Mm. and with like for example with a MOBA you you also like the the score that you're seeing in front of you the I don't know 10 nil doesn't actually, that's not the thing that's going to be assessed once 90 minutes has passed.
3: No, actually, no, I get, I get what you mean entirely. It's... I, I
0: did, Actually, I did always
2: wonder why in Dota you kind of got the kill count so prominent rather than having the health bar of the Ancients. Sort of.
0: um, well, the health bar of the ancient doesn't really go down until the very end. No, I know,
2: like, it, was just so... kind of, no, it, it was just for that kind of element of focus. It, it sort of seemed like yeah. you know, this is kind of...
0: Well I think one it's probably to do with you know how the original mod was um and two I think that it it does actually uh often reflect the general direction of of how the match is going you know like w- once somebody has you know, five kills on the board and the other person doesn't have any, then you are likely to be head in terms of gold and experience and things like that. So I guess it's there just as a as the most intelligible um indicator of what's going on. But because it's not the only one and because with some playstyles it's not the you know like it it, it can be something else that matters a lot more like which items someone has or you know things like that then it can be a bit misleading you can be sat there looking at you know somebody who's 10 kills ahead or you know a team that's 10 kills ahead like 36 to i don't know 26 26. (laughs) well yeah no i was actually i was thinking of a, a game that i'd watched recently so i was you know trying to get rid of that out of my brain um because I think it was thirty six twenty four or something. Anyway, that's why that's why maths appeared to fail me. Anyway, um, but yeah, so you're looking at that, and then you're thinking, but how is the other team that is apparently so far behind still shoving their way through these people's front door to kick over their rock garden? Mm. Like, I, I guess it's all about sort of trying to make that intelligible, and I think that's one of the. The challenges certainly with um, the spectator interfaces with with esports at the moment. I mean, you know, with
3: I would assume like the levels would also be pretty prominent because, like, you know, managing experience always seem like a big part of Dota to me.
0: Mm, there's like drop downs where you can see everybody's experience, like you know, relative to others. But there's just the thing is there's just so much information that they're trying to show all at all at once that there's actually you know like. I think there's a lot of work being done behind the scenes to work out, you know, how to display that better or at least that bloody should be. Um mm-hmm. and to to sort of not just have the game interface, but to have something that is far more geared towards a one glance, okay, these people are ahead like you get in, you know, in basketball, in football, in cricket, you know? One of the interesting things
3: there is they don't always put everything on screen. They all they kind of trust that you'll be there for the whole match. So Occasionally, mm. they will drop down a thing to say, "Okay, this team has has had sixty percent of possession, or whatever," which is almost the comparative thing in that you can see that these people are dominating possession, but they might still lose.
0: Mm. But yeah, so I guess that's how I've interpreted the question.
3: <laughs> no, I was wondering about that. I, I thought it might be linking into your um, to your Brad Dota article on the idea of like whether uh, on the idea of winning or winning in an impressive and entertaining fashion and things like that.
0: Ah, uh, okay. Well, I, yeah, like, I guess, well, yeah, I think it's, it, uh, what I've interpreted it more is just, yeah, how you read, how you read the numbers that you see and which numbers mm. mean anything at any given time. Mm-hmm. So, but, yeah. Mm. I think
2: there should be bonus points for things like which team brings along the best courier, (laughs) you know, best-dressed team. It's like kind of maybe just a little 10% bonus there. (laughs)
0: Uh, I think that's everything that I got sent.
3: uh, That's everything I have as well.
0: Awesome. Well, in that case, (laughs) shall we... uh, put a stop to this business sorry i just drifted off for a moment uh, i'm really tired oh, <laughs> maybe you could edit that bit out where i'm just you know hazing out um yeah i'll just yeah. edit it out and
3: put it at the front of the podcast
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah as i mean to go on um yeah no in that case i think that's that's everything for for this week but um yeah, was there anything that you guys you guys wanted to add or pimp out? Are you doing anything exciting? Should we mention Nine Worlds?
3: Yeah, that's a that's, that's a good point. Actually, I'm going to be at Nine Worlds uh, next weekend. Uh, Cara will be there as well. I think I don't okay. know whether we'll, we'll, we'll and try and podcast record. Podcast by...
0: regular Jordan. Yes, she will be there.
3: Um, I don't actually. I come to think about it, I should I should look into uh, I don't know if we'll uh, record a podcast from there or whether we'll do it earlier in the week. Um, but we'll find out
0: yeah i might I might pop along if i if I have time like i I really wanted to go last year, but that was when the international was actually on last year I think mm. so I couldn't go so yeah, I'd really really like to go along um I think it just depends on on work, but if you are going, dear listeners, let us know, and maybe we can we can wave at you or have like a secret handshake or something I don't know I don't know, I haven't thought this through rich anything anything you would like to to pimp out your patreon maybe.
2: Um, yes, visit my Patreon at uh, Patreon.com. I think forward slash prob- probably Richard, uh, but let me just double check that because I'm crap at this. It's probably probably Richard. I, I think it is. It is because I, I, I sort of try to maintain a certain sense of deniability. Um, next thing coming up on that, um, which I'm looking for for next week, is a uh, entire week devoted to really weird books based on games. Aiming to have one of them a day, um, including such highlights as the inevitable Doom novel, Mm. but also a couple of weirder ones like the novelisation of Castlevania II, Simon's Quest and Merciful Combat, the uh, gaming joke book. Um, So, hopefully, that will be uh, an entertaining week or so uh, in which I'll mostly be sort of sitting around, kind of waiting for news on when my bloody Oculus Rift is delivered.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Marvellous. Well, in that case, I think uh, all that remains to be said is goodbye, everybody. So, goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.